It's good to be with you this morning. I'm Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Spring Hill. And if this is your first time visiting with us, let me just pay you a particular welcome and say we are so glad that you are here. Just a little bit about who we are. We are a two-site church here in the Gallatin Valley. One, our windows look right out to our, our, the Bridger Mountains where our legacy site is. And we had great worship this morning and then here at the Bozeman site. And we exist for the purpose of building authentic community in Christ. And uh, here's the picture of what that looks like. It looks like this church being your home. And so we're really grateful to have you with us this morning. Um, I was on vacation last week, uh, went down to the Gulf with the girls, and I, I say it's really, really good to be here um, because uh, we got such a good time of relaxation. But I think it was, was it the day before we left? Uh, we got to experience our first tornado. It was a, yeah, it was a good time. Just came water spout, came right up to, uh, to the house and just right up and over and turned into a tornado and wrecked some, uh, some houses around us and never have I been so excited to leave and come back home. Uh, but it's good to be with you. We are, uh, we're in the midst of this sermon series, uh, on the gospel of John. We're just trucking through and we're going to turn to John's gospel chapter eight this morning. Uh, but before we do, before we even jump into, uh, to this holy word of God, um, Let's check our hearts and ask God to prepare us to hear his, his word this morning. Will you pray with me? God, Psalm 46 comes to nine. Lord, this morning, would you just help us to be still and to know that you are God. Lord, in a chaotic world of constant change, Lord, in our busy lives, got all the things of last week, all the things to come. God, we just pray in this moment, help us to be still. God, to quiet our hearts. Lord, we know this is the day that you have made, so we rejoice and we're certainly glad in it. And we are so grateful to have your word open and to be here in this place. And so, God, I just pray for each of us. God, that you would open our hearts to have what you would have for our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, we trust and pray. All God's people said, amen. So we're looking at John's gospel, chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 31 to 38. 31 to 38. Let's hear now God's word. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Such a good word for us. Uh, you know, this morning, I want to talk a little bit about where you live. I want to talk about where you live. I called this sermon Dwell. And uh, in order to understand our passage, I think we've got to begin by looking at the difference between a house 
and a home. Can we do that? Um, last week, as I said, we snuck off to spring break with the girls, and as we got on the plane, I sat next to this, this stranger, and through our awkward face mask interchange, um, I asked him where he was headed. And he told me, he said, I'm going home. I said, oh, great. I said, where's home? He said, I'm going to see my parents. I said, oh, great. Whereabouts? He said, they live on a farm. And I was like, this guy doesn't want me to know where he's going. I have a brother-in-law who uh, worked with special forces for a while. So like, I know like that, that awkward moment where you ask somebody what they do for a living and they say, I work for the government. And then you just stop there, right? This guy did not want me to know any more details except that he was going home. That's all I needed to know. And for those of you that know me best, then for the next few hours on the plane, I overthought the conversation. <laughs> did I pry? Did I? No, but a house is a building that you live in, right? If I say where your house, I, I mean bricks and mortar and location. What's the address? But a home, that's something else entirely. To the stranger next to me, a, a home was where his parents lived. Home was the family farm. Home is something far more intimate and personal. See, home is your memory keeper, right? It's, it's your comfort zone. Whatever else is going on in life, home is that place that has the unique ability when you walk through the door to remind you of who you are. Whatever your home looks like, it says something about who you are, doesn't it? Your hometown, your home team, a homecoming. When a soldier comes back from war, we hold signs up that say what? It's welcome home. When a college student heads off to school for the first time, somewhere in that first year, right about October, they come down with what kind of an illness? Homesick. When someone dies, we talk about them going where? Home. See, here's what I want us to see this morning. This is the main idea. Jesus Christ is heavily invested in where you make your home. And here's why I say that. Where you dwell, where you choose to abide is directly connected to who you are. But right now, if you're thinking about a house, let me just steer you back. That's not the theme of this sermon. The theme of this sermon is about where you make your home. So let me, let me explain. This crowd of believers, right, they're brand new and they've gathered around Christ and Jesus has just told them, I'm the light of the world. Jesus had told this following that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. And God's word tells us these Jewish crowds in that moment, they put their faith in him. Look at this. Let's go back to Easter morning for a minute. Verse 30. As he was saying these things, Many believed in him. See, but there's this question that now needs to be answered, right? With any new believer, what's the first question that comes to the surface? Think about this with me. They've just given their life to Christ. They've dedicated their faith to him. But the first question that needs to be answered, what is it? Anyone have an idea? First question out the gate any new believer often asks is, what's next? I put my faith in him, but, but now what? Dean talked last week about how, how we should answer that question when it comes to our salvation with nothing. Jesus is enough, right? His grace is enough. His love is enough. His sacrifice is more than enough for you. And yet we also know that faith without works is dead. Look at this in James 2.19. You believe that God is one and you do well, but even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
See, these new believers, it's almost as if their faith is, is fickle. It's in its infancy. It's, it's gone untested. We're going to find this more next Sunday as we look into their response to Christ. Like they want to trust, right? But they haven't quite stepped on the tightrope that is their faith. And Jesus tells them, if you put your faith in me and you want to know what true discipleship looks like, here's your answer. Look at this in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Here's what I want us to see this morning. Where you choose to dwell speaks volumes about what you believe. And when it comes to our spiritual life, you might say Jesus was the first realtor ever to walk this planet. And this morning, we have this invitation right from God's word to reconsider where it is as believers that we've made our home. Jesus said, where you put down roots, where you abide, where you dwell, that's a direct result of what you believe. And if you make your home in what I've taught you, Jesus says, here's the, here's the good news. That makes you truly my disciples. And here's why this concept is so vital to our faith. Look at this in verse 32. He goes on to say, when you dwell in your house, then you will know the truth. And by that truth, you will find your freedom. The Greek word that we translate uh, abide with is menain. It means to remain somewhere, to linger, to stay put, to dwell. And we know what this is, right? We, we know what it is to be home. Just think about Montana for a minute. When they start making national TV dramas called Bozeman and Big Sky and Yellowstone, right? That's game over. People are coming to Montana because they know that where they dwell changes how they live. And how they live says something unique about who they are. Our environment, our neighborhood that we dwell in, it has a major impact on life. But this is the important part. Jesus isn't talking about real estate this morning. This is not a conversation about your house or your neighborhood or your hometown. That was not the concern. But Jesus wants us to think about where it is that we make our home. See, a house is what you live in, but Jesus says a home is what you make of it. Look at how Christ said this. He says, if you dwell in my word, if you abide in me, if you make your home in my commands, you are truly my disciples. And by that truth, you will be set free. We've all heard this said a million times, a home is where the heart is, right? And Jesus says, no, 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 your home is where my word lives. The first thing a new believer's got to understand, right, is that this world is not our home. Jesus is now your home, which I think poses this obvious question. Where have you made home something other than the words of Jesus Christ? Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 13. 13 verse 5, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? See, God put Adam and Eve in this utopia of a garden, right? It was perfection. Think Hawaii, but with the Lord walking around in your backyard. You know the scene. But then this thing called sin now invades the living room, and Adam and Eve couldn't stay. Why? Because the house of the Lord is perfection. It's the holiest of holies. Sin can't live there. And with that sin came homelessness. Look at this in Genesis 3. So God drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard now the tree of life. 
And ever since that moment, apart from Christ, we're all homeless. But now Jesus is speaking with these new believers, and it's almost as if they don't see their own destitution, right? And he tells them, you need to meet with my word, because my word brings truth, and the truth brings freedom, and that freedom now brings you back home to me. Now, here's where we have to really pay attention, because this gets tricky. Look at their answer in verse 33. This is kind of a head-scratcher. They said, but we have Abraham. We've never been enslaved. What are you talking about this freedom talk? At the time, it was thought by many that Abraham was enough, right? Your roots in your, in your Judish, Judaism faith was enough. Family ties, generational connection, that was plenty to lead on. But Jesus said, no, no, no. Without me, you're not free. You're enslaved. And a slave, by the very definition, is homeless, a slave in Jesus' day was a, a temporary visitor. If you were enslaved, your task was what? It was to, to come into the house, do the daily chores, but you had no ownership in that place. You didn't belong there. Your presence was temporary. In this gathering of new believers, they tell Jesus, we, we don't need freedom. We've never been enslaved. Can we just fact that, check that for a minute? Uh, the history of God's people is riddled with slavery, Right? Like it's flooded with homelessness. That's their entire story. Point to the timeline. I can show you the captivity. Assyria, Babylon, Egypt, Rome. Israel hardly knew anything else. See, but Jesus isn't talking about kingdoms and powers here. He's talking about something far more eternal. He's not talking about our houses. He's talking about home. Look at this in verse 34. He says, this is what I mean. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And when it comes to where you live, a slave is just a temporary guest at home. Without my word in, my, in your life, Jesus says, you're homeless. See, with Adam and Eve came this world that now had sin cloaked in it. And sin is that which not only enslaves us, but as we dwell in it, we become lost in it. Because where you choose to dwell has a direct effect on who you are. And Jesus says to this brand new flock of believers, when you choose to abide in sin rather than my word, you can guarantee every time that house will become your jail cell. It will enslave you every time. Let me see if I can flesh this out a little bit. If you dwell in anger, that anger will eventually make you bitter, right? If you dwell in gossip, you can guarantee the gossip's gonna ruin your relationships. If you dwell in lust, it will only lead to more lustfulness. If you dwell in deceit, it's only a matter of time before you find yourself deceived. If you dwell in pride, we all know that fall is going to hurt. If you dwell in envy and greed, you're, you're never going to be content. If you dwell in complaint, well, then your life's covered in misery. And Christ said to these believers, like, get this, think about this. He says, you even seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Time out for a second. How is it that these new believers seek to kill Jesus Christ? So let's talk about where we live for a minute. Where, where do you make home? Back in 2017, a, a little girl named Sydney Farrenbush had just moved to Colorado with her family. And, and this poor girl, she was not doing well in her new quarters. She was terrified that this new home that her parents had made for her was infested with monsters. She would wake her parents up every morning at two, three, four, constantly. She was terrified as much as they convinced, tried to convince her there were no monsters. 
Well, one day the family was at a barbecue and Sydney saw a police officer in uniform sitting across the way and she did what any four-year-old would do in a situation like this. She asked the officer to come back over to her house and check for the monsters in her room. As a parent, if there's one thing I've learned, it's when a four-year-old asks you to check the monsters in her closet, you do what? You check the monsters. So the next day, the officer shows up in full uniform. And that afternoon, he and his new four-year-old partner, they scoured the, the house. They looked under the couches and the cupboards. They checked the closets under the beds. And after he assured her of her safety and gave her her own officer's badge, that night, true story, her parents said she fell sound asleep in her bed and never woke up until daylight. So what I'm trying to say is we live in a world full of monstrous, home-wrecking sin, right? It lurks around every corner. And Jesus says, here's what you do with that. If as believers, you wanna be set free from that, you have to be living in the truth of God's word. And this is how you rid your life of sin, right? Psalm 119 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, right? A light to my path. See, where we live, that's not the issue. You get to pick it. You can pick the house. Belgrade, Bozeman, Four Corners, Three Forks, Livingston, Manhattan. You pick it as long as you can afford it. Now, that's not the important part, right? Here's what matters to Jesus. He says, whatever it is, however that looks for you, Christ says, I just want you to make your home with me. If you build a, a worldly house, it will become your entrapment every time. But if you build your home by the word of Jesus Christ, if that's your dwelling place, if that's where you abide, no matter where you go, you will know the truth and the truth will bring you freedom. See, I think here's the most important part for us, though, and it's, it's easy to miss this one. When Jesus said he wanted you to abide in his word in our scripture lesson this morning, he meant y'all. I've got a couple Southerners in the room. What does y'all mean? You all, right? That's plural speak. If y'all abide in my word, y'all are my disciples. It's almost that Jesus, Jesus is calling us to be dwelling together. Reminds me of the book of Acts in the early church. Look how this went down in verse 40, 42. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. I love how one scholar put it. He said, Jesus doesn't just want to be your savior. He doesn't just want to be your friend. He wants you to have a home in him. But here's the thing we've got to understand as believers. Without him, we're homeless. Without his word in our life, a life that dwells in sin will never lead you back to where you belong. Look at this in verse 35. Jesus says, the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So it's the son who sets you free. That's how you find freedom. The only way back to that garden is to the son whose eternal home is with the father and the Holy Spirit. The Greyhound bus line is the longest running bus system in America. We know this. They've been in business since 1914. Still today, they serve over 3,800 destinations nationwide. And here's something you might not know, though. In 1995, Greyhound teamed up with something called the National Runaway Safe Line, and they realized that through their infrastructure, they had this really unique ability to bring runaway children back home. 
So for decades now, all a child has to do is call 1-800-RUNAWAY. And if they're between the ages of 12 and 21, Greyhound will buy their ticket back to where they belong. Get this, since the program began, there's been over 16,000 homecomings. Think about that. Why? Because home matters. And here we are at Spring Hill. We've said we're a church to call home. And we talk all about what, all the time about what that means to be that church, to be a people who abide in Christ, not only as individuals, but collectively as a community of faith. But here's the really important part for us this week. Here's the, here's the important question. If that's true, where have you made your dwelling place? Test yourselves, as Paul says. Where is God's word in your life? Jesus said, my word is a blueprint, right? And when you dwell in it, you dwell in me. If you say you have no sin, you've deceived yourself and the truth is not in you. But when you confess your sin, he who is righteous and just will release us of that sin and give us freedom. The University of Kentucky recently did a study proving how environment is directly linked to our well-being. And they said, this will, make, uh, this will be no surprise to you. They said that deep within every human being is an innate need to have a place to call home. At the beginning of this report, the professors talked about how home provides security and control and identity and privacy. But look at this quote. Look at this quote from the leading professor. He said, but most of all, home is a place that provides us with a centering, a place from which we leave each morning and we return to each evening. You with me so far? Everybody agree? Look at this. Here's where it gets good. Look at how he goes on to explain home. We live in a society that is concerned with freedom. And part of that development is being able to make a space for yourself and having that central place from which to look out at the world. You know what Jesus would say to that? He'd say, exactly. That is exactly right. If you want freedom, it begins with where you abide. And if you make your home with the things of this world, you will only live with what the world can offer you. But when you make your dwelling with me, Jesus said, that's freedom. Justin Dillahay of Southern Baptist Seminary, he recently pointed out a story of a 17-year-old girl who collapsed at work from a swollen tongue. When they got to the hospital, they started doing these tests and they, they came to find out that this, this, this girl had for months been eating nothing but McDonald's chicken nuggets. Day after day, no fruit, no vegetables, just deep fried chicken. She lived in that McDonald's, right? That's where she worked. That's where her friends hung out. It's where she ate. It's where she dwelled. Here's the problem with something like that. Man does not live on nuggets alone. <laughs> right? Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this week, let me ask you my awkward question from the plane since the gentleman never answered it. Where are you headed? Is it back to school? Maybe back to work? Maybe you're headed out of town this week. Those of us more blessed are out on the golf course, maybe to the rivers. Whatever it is, the point I'm trying to make is don't forget where your home is. See, to abide isn't just knowing God's word, it's making it a lifestyle. So here's how I want to close today. I don't want to just preach at you. I want to offer some practical thoughts on how we do this. What does it look like for us to abide with Christ? Ten quick thoughts. Ten quick ways you can abide with Christ right now this week. Number one, find a podcast. 
We're loving our new podcast, aren't we, Becca? Called That'll Preach, but this isn't a sales pitch for that. Um, Think about a a podcast that will root you in God's word. I'm going to give you two. They're super obvious. The first one is this. It's called Read the Bible. Isn't that original? Read the Bible. Fantastic. It's, It's led by seminary teachers and pastors and professors. Fantastic way to get into God's word. On your way to work, you can listen. Another great podcast is called, get this, The Bible Recap. The Bible Recap. That's another one that'll get you rooted into scripture and make you think. That's the first one. Second, what about memorizing one Bible verse with a family member every week? I know that sounds super, super typical, right? But what if you just read that verse every night at dinner? Watch it. Seven days later, you'll know the Bible verse. What if you start your morning with just a proverb or a psalm before you even get out of bed? Join a Bible study. We have multiple ongoing studies here at Spring Hill. Men's and women's, come and find me after worship. I'd love to fill you in on one. In fact, we took our our coffee with pastors on Sunday mornings. We've moved it to Thursday mornings at Cold Smoke. Come find me. Love to have you join in on that. Here's another one, number five. Find a children's Bible and read it, even if you don't have kids. I found it's one of the most incredible, joyful things to just sit down with a children's Bible and go back to the basics. Number six, bibleproject.com. If you haven't heard of that, go there, bibleproject.com. Some of the most brilliant men of God's word are putting it right in the hands of people with with, uh, really relevant videos, and uh, it's good stuff. Seven, follow us on social media. The, The staff is working every week to bring God's word into your life through Instagram, Facebook, and the like. Eight, put a sticky note somewhere in your life in your car, on a mirror, somewhere with God's word on it. Nine, when you work out, put in the audio Bible so you're working out to God's word. My favorite app just happens to be the title of this sermon. It's called Dwell. It's a fantastic app that gives us good scriptures. Number 10, and this is just outside the box thinking, but open up your Bible, snap a photo of the scripture that you want to focus on for the week and make it the wallpaper of your phone. See, all I'm saying, these are all just kind of typical thoughts, but all I'm saying is let's think outside the box, right? Here's the point. Don't just leave God's word somewhere in your house. Make that living word your home. You feel me? Let's do that this week. Let me pray. God, we know we we just heard a read your Bible more sermon. God, it seems so obvious, and yet we, we confess that we have often fallen away from your word, Lord. We, we know that, that we live in a world that is biblically illiterate. And God, even for us who, who know your word, Lord, the, the, the challenge of living into it and abiding in it and making it our lifestyle is not easy in a world that doesn't want to live by the scriptures. God, it's a difficult thing, and yet you have said that followership, discipleship, looks like abiding in the words that you've given us. So God, we pray this week, make us a people of your word. Not that we would just hear it, but that we would live it. God, that we would dwell in it, make our home in it, and abide in you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen.